You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Right, come, uh, we come to question 87 this morning in our shorter catechisms, and we have some copies left. We are, I think we started with 200 copies of these things, and we're down to maybe like 20 or something, uh, which is great. We want them. That means they're in your houses, which is wonderful, uh, which is what we want. But you, if you don't have one today, grab one. You can grab it just for the day. You can grab it to make it yours and bring it back in the future. Um, or make use of it at home otherwise. Uh, but we are in question 87 of the catechism, the shorter catechism. And just to remind us where we are, um, there's a, a real logical flow to, uh, to the catechism. If we don't kind of zoom out, we sometimes miss that. Um, there's plenty of seats up front if anybody wants to come up front. So, I know, I, I know, I know, I, I get it. Um, there is a logical flow to the catechism, um, and I just, we're going to zoom out a little bit. Remember, we went through the Ten Commandments that ended at, what, question 81, and then uh, question 82 says, uh, in light of the law, is anybody able to keep it? It says, no, no one can keep the law of God. And it talks about the transgressions being equally heinous, or they're not all equally heinous, but every sin... We can't keep it. Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse. And then last week, we began looking at question 85, which says, okay, we're under God's wrath and curse. Is there any way to be saved? What must man do to be saved, to escape the wrath and curse? And then there's three things given there. Faith in Christ, repentance unto life, and the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicateth to it the bit communicateth to us the benefits of redemption. So we're looking at these three aspects, faith, repentance, and then diligent use of the ordinary means. And these are the three things that Christians are called to. Um, we are called to do, our lives look like faithful, we're filled with faith, trusting in Christ, repenting, and making use of the ordinary means of grace. These are the three things that characterize the Christian's life because we are still in, um, we still are subject to sin. So we looked at faith in Jesus Christ with Pastor Wright last week, and today we look at repentance unto life. What is this repentance unto life that the Catechism and ultimately Scripture speaks of? We are, um, I just want to highlight one resource for us um, before we jump into the um, topic today. And I was just struck again by rereading this week. John Calvin on his Institutes of the Christian Religion, right, Jim? Um, his, he had, there's a, a whole section on repentance. It's book three, chapter three, and it is just wonderful and incredibly solid, incredibly pastoral, um, and uh, oftentimes we think of Calvin, this old, crusty, boring guy, um, but when you actually read him, it's phenomenal and very warm and very inviting, and so I'd recommend, uh, there's actually versions of the Institutes that are online. They're older translations, which aren't as great, but you can get them for free online and read them there. Uh, so I'd even recommend this afternoon, this is a great place to go spend some Lord's Day reading uh, on, on uh, the Institute's book three, chapter three. So let's, um, before we, uh, no, let's, let's just read the, let's read question 87 and frame this in our mind. Uh, and we'll look at some key scripture in a moment. So question 87, what is repentance unto life? 
Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth, with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God, with full purpose of and endeavor after, new obedience. Obviously, there's a lot going on here. And um, just a mental note for all of us, uh, particularly for me, uh, at what, 1040, I'm going to be done. And then John Lambert's going to share an update on uh, our church plant in our presbytery. So with that resurrection press, that's right. So I'm going to be done at 20 till. So I need to, you know, I've lost five minutes already. So I'm going to keep going. I'm going to be going fast. Um, So, um, repentance unto life. We often don't think of repentance uh, with that phrase, the prepositional phrase, unto life, at the end, and we'll see why that's important here in a moment. But let's look at a few key scripture passages, and we're going to be looking at a lot as we go through um, this, uh, this lesson. First, uh, this is Matthew 3. This is John the Baptist. In the days of John the Baptist, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this preparatory preaching, um, preparing people for Christ, is a call to repent uh, for the, the, the Jewish people. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ is coming. And then we see one of Christ's first sermons here in Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, so John is off the scene. Christ has come. Christ came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. So John was saying, the kingdom of God is at heaven, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. I'm here. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And his exhortation is to repent and believe in the gospel. So that's why we have here um, these things that are, that, we are, that are necessary for Christians is faith and repentance. The catechism says faith and repentance. Believe in God and then repent. So that's what we're considering today. Um, so these two things are wedded. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's why the catechism puts them together. Matthew 3, um, this is Jesus again saying, uh, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So we see this reality that there's an ongoing effect of repentance. There's to be a fruit that comes from repentance. And repentance itself isn't that fruit, but repentance leads to fruit. We'll come back to that. And then Matthew 4, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ preached repentance. And actually, the, there's an entire chapter on repentance in the Westminster Confession of Faith. If you remember when we were going through the Confession of Faith a while ago, um, there's an entire chapter on this. And it begins saying, this is necessary for all preachers to preach repentance. We must preach repentance and we must repent of sin. So let's, um, we're going to look at a couple concepts here before we get into some of the, um, uh, the elements of what uh, repentance is, or what it contains. But first off the bat, we need to distinguish repentance from penance. Repentance from penance. Penance is uh, a, man, man, uh, a man-made activity, an activity of man to kind of work off sin that you have done. And this is prominent in um, the Roman Catholic Church. This is a doctrine that they teach. And here's what they say from the Roman Catholic Catechism. 
The confessor, the priest, so when you come to a, a confessor, you, you confess your sins to them, to your priest, and this, then once you confess their sins, then the confessor proposes the performance of certain acts of satisfaction or penance to be performed by the penitent in order to repair the harm caused by sin and to reestablish habits befitting a disciple of Christ. So when you go confess your sins, the sacrament of penance requires the priest to tell you, you must go do these things. This is your penance. This is your satisfaction for your sins. You pay for your sins with penance, uh, whether it's um, doing Hail Marys, you know, saying the prayer, uh, whether it's doing Our Fathers, what they call the Lord's Prayer, saying the Lord's Prayer so many times, whether it's certain other acts. You do these acts, and doing these acts, you are doing penance. You're doing a work that then reestablishes communion with God. So penance here is a human, um, basically a human offering to God. Say, accept me back despite my sin because of this work I am doing. That's penance, but that is not repentance. That is not repentance. Uh, As one commentator on the confession says, repentance is not a deed that deserves a reward. This is not God making sure you're really, really sorry. And if you prove you're sorry enough, then he's going to forgive you. That's not what repentance is. This isn't groveling. This isn't trying to earn favor back with God. But it's a new creation impulse of turning away from sin unto God. It is a fruit of faith. Repentance is a fruit of faith. And along with faith, faith and repentance, right? Jesus says, believe and repent. Faith with repentance is what we call conversion. Repentance is turning away from the old life, from sin. And now this is, uh, this is what we outward, this is the outward manifestation of this regenerating work of the spirit. So it's an outward orientation, but there's, there's heart-ish things going on as well, as we'll get to in a few minutes. Um, and repentance, though, is not a one-time deal. It's not just a one-time thing you do when you become a Christian and you're done. Uh, Pastor Wright preached on repentance not long ago, and he quoted uh, Martin Luther, his famous 95 Theses. I'm not sure how many of us have actually ever read them, uh, which is fine because they're actually still very Roman Catholic. It's a very Roman Catholic document. But the first one, the first thesis um, is this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life is one of repentance. We are constantly repenting. And in fact, Luther would even go so far later to say, we repent of our repentance because we realize how our repentance is filled with sin. Even the way we go about doing it, we're doing it for, for um, uh, it, it's shaded with, with bad reasons. Uh, it's shaded with bad motives. And so we even have to repent of that. And I think this this really is the confession um, hammers this when it starts off saying it is essential for repentance to be preached. Because what this does is this helps us uh, move beyond an easy believism, where Christianity is simply, um, I, I say a prayer, um, I, I, I have faith, and, and that's all the Christian life is. Faith is the instrument of receiving justification, absolutely. And we preach faith, look to Christ all the time because we so quickly look back to ourselves. This is the call to salvation. But 
That's not the end all be all. That is not everything that Christ calls us to do. Christ also calls us to repent. As a result of faith, it is different from faith. It flows from faith, but we must repent. Because if we're not calling our, calling um, ourselves, not calling each other to repentance, it's a form of easy believism. It's where you can say, well, I've just said the sinner's prayer and I'm done. It's not taking the ongoing reality of sin in our lives seriously. A Christian hates his sin. And repentance is one of those means that God uses to grow us in sanctification. This is one of those ways of identifying our sin and, and explicitly turning from it unto God. That is one of the ways that we actually grow in sanctification. If we're not naming our sin, identifying our sin, then we're just sitting in it. But this is how God helps us grow beyond our sin, to grow out of our sin. And as the uh, catechism or the confession of faith tells us, we are called to repent of particular sins particularly. So we have a general confession of sin, which is one, one element of uh, repentance, in our worship services. And that's general. And sometimes there are particular things in there. Uh, Pastor Rach really good about write, writing very particular things in there that help us know how to repent of particular sins particularly. But that doesn't encompass all the sins that we've sinned that last week. And so we have a silent confession of sin so that we identify those particular sins and we re- re- repent of them particularly. And so... That's a model for how we should be treating our entire lives. All of our sins should be identified and turned from unto God. Um, So it's not penance, but this phrase is interesting, repentance unto life. This always strikes me. Um, And this comes straight from Acts 11. Uh, It says, and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Translating that, that Greek preposition a little bit differently. It's granted repentance unto life or repentance that leads to life. This is repentance that leads to life. So it is a repentance that is, um, as the uh, confession says, it is an evangelical grace. This is repentance that is motivated by the gospel that leads us to life. It is not motivated by simply the law and fear of the law that leads us to shame and self-condemnation and self-flagellation. This is motivated by the gospel to seeing the glories of Christ that leads us into life and flourishing. Uh, we have, have a couple other verses here that highlight how Scripture connects repentance with the forgiveness of sins. It connects these ideas uh, very closely in an interesting way. Um, and first is Acts 3. Um, two of them popped up here. Acts 3, uh, where Peter's preaching. He says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out that your sins may be blotted out. Now, what, not, what, he's, what he's not saying is that if you don't repent of every single sin that you've ever sinned, then that sin is not forgiven. That's not what he's calling us to do. But this repentance is flowing out of that faith, that faith that clings to Christ and that faith that is the instrument of justifying us. And so out of that faith flows repentance. So if we are repenting, it is evidence of faith. True repentance is evidence of faith, and that's how it connects us to forgiveness of sins. It's not that if you don't confess and repent of a particular sins that you don't know about or you've forgotten about, that that sin's not going to be forgiven. But it's connected so closely, again, because faith and repentance are connected so closely. Um, 
Acts 5.31, God exalted him, this is talking about Christ, at his right hand and as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Again, that repentance and forgiveness are so closely uh, connected. Um, And then here, judgment is connected. I'm going to skip over this, but judgment is connected to not repenting of sins. And then the other phrase I want to highlight here, so that's repentance into life. The other, the other one is saving grace, before we get into some elements here. Um, it is a saving grace. And that's where, as the confession said, it is an evangelical grace from God. This is a gift of God. As a result of the gospel, trusting in Christ, understanding the gospel, then we repent. Again, this isn't legal. There's a, a difference between legal repentance and gospel repentance or evangelical repentance or saving grace repentance. And this is that classic, um, uh, this is the, the classic uh, statement in 2 Corinthians 7.10, which we'll come back to. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Godly, uh, godly grief leads to repentance that leads to salvation. So it's a saving grace. This is God's working salvation in an ongoing way in our life, even through the grace of repentance. And it's important for us to remember that even repentance is wrought by God in us. We don't repent because we are particularly good or because we're particularly insightful. Our repentance is by God's grace. That's what this means here. It's a saving grace. This is the work of God. And I find this uh, passage in Zechariah quite striking. Um, and it's actually quoted in, in, this, in the little edition we have here. There's um, a bunch of footnotes, but it doesn't include all the ones the Westminster Divines included. And they include this one in Zechariah. And it was kind of a head, scratch, head scratcher at first for me. But diving into it makes me realize that what it's emphasizing is this is the work of God on his people. So let me read this from Zechariah 12. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem... A spirit of grace. So that's why it's a spirit of grace that God's giving us, a saving grace that God's giving us. And pleas for mercy. So God's going to allow us, through his grace, to be able to have to plea for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, it's a fascinating prophecy, right? They're saying me, the one they have pierced, right? Speaking of Christ, this is Christ speaking. They shall mourn for him, the one they have pierced as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. So a couple things here is, first, this is God giving this spirit of grace to us to enable us then to, what does it say? To weep, to mourn, sorry, mourn there for Christ, the one who has been pierced for us. We mourn over our sin because what it has done to our Savior, what he has done on our behalf, and we realize every single one of our sins has put him on the cross. But it is a gift of God that we see our sin and turn from it. Okay, let's go to these elements of repentance. Well, I'll I'll stop there. Um, I've just kind of uh, unloaded a lot, but we'll stop there for comments, and we'll we'll go into some more of the text here in a moment. But there, yes. That's right. So we're not still taking care of it as far as the sin being paid for or the sin being forgiven, actually. The sin was once for all forgiven. I'm turn this down a little bit. The sin was once for all forgiven at the cross, but applied to us when we first look to Christ in faith. 
But that faith leads us to repentance. The, the, the first cry of faith is, some would say, prayer. I'll say right behind that is repentance as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so salvation, remember, is doesn't just mean past tense, like we were saved at the cross by Christ. There's an ongoing salvation. So scripture says past salvation, justification, we're forgiven, we're declared righteous, that's past. Present, actually, salvation, we are being saved, scripture says. So there's an ongoing reality of the Christian life. Not that we're becoming more justified, but we're being saved in our sanctification. So there's an ongoing process of salvation. And then there's a future salvation the Bible talks about, where in the future, we will be fully confirmed in all these promises that are ours, and that's glorification. So the past, present, and future aspects of salvation. So when we say it's a saving grace, it doesn't mean it is the ground of our justification, but this is the work God is still doing right now, saving us um, in an experiential way from our sin that we, as he's calling us and allowing us to turn from that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, Bruce. I look at it Right. 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 Mm -hmm. That's right. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. But yeah, godly grief is not just grieving over the consequences of sin. Um, that's a worldly sorrow. And the last half of that chapter that I lopped off, we'll come back to, or the last, last, last uh, phrase of that verse that I lopped off. Um, yeah, a sorrow for the consequences of sin, that's not true repentance. But true, true repentance is a godly grief that I have sinned against the creator of heaven and earth. Um, and that is a weighty thing. I have sinned and therefore my savior is on the cross. Yes. That's that's hard to not err in either. Yeah. It's you know, an act of faith for me to remember God is sovereign. That's right. He has brought me through the things that He has brought me through, and I I don't need to. I, part of me wishes you know something hadn't happened. Right. Right, that's right. And, and it becomes that self-flagellation of, oh, I just am terrible, I'm awful and horrible. And uh, But you're right, it frees you from that, seeing what Christ has done. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. John? So we all sin in many ways, and we all have the setting of sins, some more heinous, some less heinous. And we find ourselves weekly, daily, falling into the setting of sins, even if the sins of attitude or many, many. How can we have Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, no, keep that in mind. We're gonna, let's go through these elements of repentance here and keep that in mind where it's easy to think of repentance as like, oh, I you know, lashed out at my neighbor uh, and I yelled at them and I shouldn't have. Think of it as these, these particular events. And that's right. But I think what John's getting at is we need to realize there's even like an attitudinal sense, um, d- different um, uh, sins that we deal with on a, on a deeper heart level that we come back to over and over and over. And how do we repent of those? So keep that in mind as we walk through some of these elements that the, that the catechism speaks of. And we'll circle back to that if needed um, at the end here. So let's, let's look through the text here and look at different elements uh, that it names of repentance. And first, it speaks of a sinner, right? So a sinner repents. Um, so a sinner, as we'll see in a minute, sees his sin. But this begins with sin, somebody who sins. Um, if you don't see yourself as a sinner, you're not going to repent, But this calls us all to remember we are sinners and we must repent. So it begins with the first element, sinner who sins. So that's all of us here. So the second element is knowing two things. Out of a true sense of a sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. So two things, you understand a true sense of his sin, not um, a, a weak sense of his sin, not a, uh, a worldly understanding of his sin, but a true sense of his sin, a true sense that your sin is an offense against the creator of heaven and earth, as I said, that your sin is odious in God's sight, that your sin is an offense to him and your, your sin harms his creatures, others made in his image. So you must know what sin is, the depths of sin, the heinousness of sin, how horrible sin is. You must know that sin is awful and you've done it. But also, it doesn't stop there because we also see the glory of Christ at the same time. You see how horrible your sin is, but you see the mercy of God in Christ. And that's an amazing thing to wed the most horrible thing we can imagine is our sin and then the just condemnation of that sin. But at the same time, we see God's mercy that he pours out upon people who look to him in faith. And so we see my sin, God's mercy together. We have to understand both of these. And if we don't understand my sin and we just think God is merciful, well, then we're not going to need to repent. We're not going to truly repent. If we just see the, the, the depths of my sin and we don't see God as merciful, then we're going to be hopeless There's no hope for us apart from Christ. And so we see these two things, our sin and God's mercy in Christ. So that's the the next element. Let's, Let's keep pushing here. And we see with this, I know I'm a sinner. I know God's merciful. We see grief and hatred of sin. We don't see a, oh, well, it's covered by Jesus' blood, not a big deal right? That's not, the re- that's not the right response when we understand the odiousness of our sin. We have grief and hatred of our sin. So it's not just a, a mental understanding here, but this is really get, getting at an, an emotional element where I hate my sin. Now, why do I hate my sin though? That's, that's the real question here. Why am I hating my sin? And that's when we come back to the second Corinthians passage. And I'm going to read the whole verse this time. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So there's a difference between godly grief and worldly grief. 
godly grief and worldly grief. This godly grief understands these things, my sin, God's mercy, and it leads to a sorrow, hating my sin, because what it is an offense to God. It's all Godward related. But worldly grief is me-centered. Worldly grief says, man, I really messed that up, and now my neighbor really doesn't like me. I don't like that. Or, oh, I just did this, and I don't like the, the consequences that are going to come upon me. And this is hard to teach kids, um, to teach kids that you don't, you're not mean to other people just because of the consequences that you're going to get, you know, time out or spanking, whatever, right? You're not mean to other people because they're made in God's image and we're called to honor those who are in God's image. So we look at kids and say, why don't you get it? But then we look at ourselves and say, we don't get it. We often hate the consequences of sin more than we, the, the, the earthly temporal consequences of sin more than we hate our sin itself. And we're reminded here that we hate our sin because what an offense it is to a holy and just God. And so there's an emotional element. I hate it. I despise it. I abhor it. I grieve what I've done. I hate it. And not because of the worldly circumstances, the temporal consequences I'm going to face, but because it's an offense to God. So there's that emotional element. Um, And then why are we doing it? The motivation is very important here. And we'll keep moving and we'll stop when I'm through these few points here. And then there's a, you hate it. And then what do you do? You know your sin. You know God's merciful. And I hate my sin. I grieve over it. What do I do? I turn unto God. This grief, knowing God's mercy, leads us to turning to him. Do I have this in here? Yes. Um, Acts 26. This is Paul who is preaching uh, to Agrippa and telling him about, he's called to account, you know, why are you doing this? Why are they making these accusations against you? And um, Paul's now recounting his preaching that he had been doing. And he says, I was preaching this, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Now keep that last clause, and we'll come to that in a minute. But they should repent and turn to God. It's important to say, and uh, Nate has pointed this out to me before, it's not repent and turn to good works. It's not repent from your sin and do better next time. You repent and turn unto God because our sin is fundamentally indicating that there's an orientation of my heart that is not oriented to God. There's an aspect of me that is turned unto myself, turned unto sin, and I need to turn my, my, the core of my being back to God, the one who heals, the one who restores, the one who loves. And so I turn myself, the core of who I am, away from myself, away from my pride, away from my own desires, unto the one in whom all joy is found. And so I love this phrase, it's turning unto God. Now this includes confession of our sin, right? As we've done week in, we do here week in and week out. Um, And that's a pattern for us that we should be doing daily, confessing our sins to God, repenting of our sins as far as we are able to know and acknowledge our sin. Um, So confessing is an important part of turning unto God, but so is uh, restitution or reparation. If we've harmed somebody, we must, part of repentance is making it whole, making it right, going back and fixing the damage that we have done, Uh, whether it's to somebody else's reputation for slandering and gossip, or whether it's uh, financial. Um, Sometimes you can't fix it. 
um, but you do everything you can to fix what you've done. That's turning unto God, turning away from me. It says, I have caused a problem. I've, I've caused a harm to another, and I want to fix that. As I turn to God, the damage now, the, 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 the cost to me to fix this doesn't matter comparison to the harm I've done, and I need to make it right. And so here we're able to find rest and joy and contentment and life and happiness, the source of every good thing in God, not in myself and not in my sin. And so this isn't just about externals and behavior, as important as our behavior is, we'll come to in a minute. This is not about that. This gets to the heart reality. Obedience is the result of turning to God. And so let's go to this last piece here. And it truly sets course for the course for obedience. And I love the phrasing here. With full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. So it's not a, a, a half-hearted effort that we that we go that we um, that we have after repentance. After repenting, it is a full purpose of new obedience. Our our full desire is to obey. We're going to set a course for new obedience. We make a plan and we put it in action. It says we endeavor after. So we put a plan in place, right? You fall into this habitual sin or you, you, uh, you said this thing to your neighbor. What happened? Why did I do that? Why did I feel the need, the urge, the desire? And I'm going to put a plan in place to keep me from doing that again. I'm going to make a plan. Repentance leads us to these kinds of actions saying, I'm not going to do it again. I don't want to do it again. And we will do it with full hearted, full purpose of, we will endeavor after this new obedience. So repentance leads us to charting a new course for obedience. But falling into sin again does not mean repentance was not genuine. Falling into the same sin again does not mean that repentance was not genuine. And I think this is important as we have these particularly besetting sins, as we have sins that we fall into over and over. We don't look back and say, well, I guess I wasn't repenting hard enough last time. I'm going to repent harder this time. Um, Because that quickly turns into penance. And I'm going to prove how much I mean it this time. But what it does do is it, is it helps us see, okay, maybe there are other things I do need to do to put guardrails around this or to have accountability or whatever it is um, so that I will not fall in the future. But we can't look at somebody and say, just because you, sent, you yelled at me last week, you, 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 you came to me, you confessed your sin, you sought forgiveness, and uh, I granted it, and now you're yelling at me again this week, clearly you didn't mean it. That's not the first conclusion we must draw. Now, down the line, maybe, um, maybe we do draw that conclusion that they weren't sincere and they didn't really mean it, and they were just just worldly sorrow that they had at the at that point in time. So we need to learn to be patient with one another in our sin, even though we truly repent, we can still fall in the same sin. Now, at the same time, the larger catechism says if you repent of your sin and come, and come back to the same sin, it actually makes it more heinous the next time you come back to it. It is more heinous because now you've owned it, you've identified it, and yet you're coming back to it. Um, So it does rise on the heinousness scale and makes us realize, okay, I need to talk to somebody about this. I need to to be accountable in this. I need to make sure others are aware of this. I need help in turning from this sin, not in the repentance way, but in this 
uh, fruit that leads from leads to or the, the, the repentance that leads unto a new course of life. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance is the language. So repentance is not the outward change, but the outward change is the fruit or the life that flows from repentance. Repentance is that changing of the, of the desire from my sin, from myself, turning unto God. And then that leads us now to new life. But that new obedience is not repentance in and of itself. All right, we've got all this on the table. We have four minutes for discussion. So there we go. I did it. I said all I wanted to say. Now, where are you guys? Right. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Very good. Very good. What else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that attitude has crept into the church, obviously, with people having affairs in the pulpit, and then they, that's the next month they're back in another Right, right. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and we need to be careful to not let the culture define what sin is for the Christian. Um, that's why we have to come back to God's word. And as we spent you know, a long time going through the Ten Commandments, uh, what does God say sin is? How does God define sin? And God's, the God's statement of what sin is, is what needs to be guiding us in our repentance. Not what the world says, um, not what's out there, uh, but what God says. And that's why this community is so important for us, to be reminded and and. Re, um, um, uh, be strengthened in our understanding of what is true, what is sin, really. We need one another to keep us accountable because the world's not going to keep us accountable. Uh, the world's going to try to mess up everything that we're learning here, everything that together we hold and value. So this community is going to be so important for us, particularly moving forward, to help reinforce what is good and true and right and beautiful, and that would help us understand what is sinful so that we can be... Um, uh, we can we can uh, endeavor after this new obedience together in Christ. Could you differentiate for me what you mean by penance and performing deeds on the right track? Yeah, that's right. So um, that's where um, penance is. The deed is the basis for God receiving me back into his presence. So the penance is me doing something. And on that basis, I'm showing how sorry I am. And therefore I'm, I'm back in communion with God. Now the doing the, the full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience that flows from true repentance. And this is truly uh, the way I said it truly sets course for obedience because repentance leads us to setting a course for obedience. That obedience is not itself repentance. Repentance is something pre-obedience that happens. And so repentance is that 
changing um, fundamentally at our heart, hating our sin, turning from it, and turning to God. And that leads to new obedience, but that new obedience itself is not repentance. That is the fruit of repentance. Nate? Uh, Heidelberg talks about it just in terms of like the dying of the old man and mm-hmm. the coming to life of the new nature. Yeah, yeah. So the whole idea of like this endeavor and purpose is coming out of this heartfelt love That's right. and joy in the Lord mm-hmm. because of the forgiveness that That's we right. That's right. Very good. And that's where, to tie it back in here, it talks about it, a, a, uh, or the confession. I like how the confession says, it's an evangelical grace. It's a gospel grace of new life arising out of the old man, the ashes. All right, one more. Yes. Jews make a sacrifice annually. Mm-hmm. Are they starting over their sins the moment they have... Yeah, yeah. So you're talking about um, like the Day of Atonement, where they had an annual sacrifice. John, you can come on up front. Um, get ready. Um, so yeah, that was let the. So um, as Hebrew says, it, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. It never actually forgave them. But what that was was pointing them to the one who would ultimately do it. The year in, year out, the day in, day out sacrifices was never enough, and it never actually forgave. What it did is it called them to place their trust in God's appointed sacrifice. And so they were trusting in God, the one who forgives sins. And this this symbol, this type and shadow under the old old covenant was the lambs, was the the goats, was the bulls being sacrificed, but that pointed them to the one who ultimately did take it away. So those sacrifices never took away sin, but it pointed them to the fact that they needed one who would do it for them, who was coming. And it was God's promise to them that he would take away their sin through an appointed sacrifice. Very good. Um, I believe we are on. And so I'm going to turn it over to to John, and it's green. Should be good. I'll go. I'll go turn it on. Go ahead and start talking. I'll go turn it on. Um, and then, okay. oh, there you uh, go. It's working. Good. Somebody's good. out there. Excellent. Um, I am John Lambert. If you don't know me, um, I I'm, I'm part of the missions committee, and hopefully, God willing, for the next three weeks, I'll be sharing about our three church plants. This week, I'm going to be sharing about Resurrection Prez. This is in, um, I believe, this is in out Strongsville. What ha- Resurrection Press is a church plant that's been going on for a few years, but COVID really hurt it. COVID really hurt it. It's actually now meeting, it was meeting in, um, Jason Pateo is the one that was starting this church plant. It's now meeting in his house, and what they're, what they're looking at doing is they're looking at trying to relaunch the church this fall in August or September. And they are trying to reassemble a launch team, trying to refresh their website, trying to get some branding, trying to just go through all the efforts of, of relaunching this church plant. Um, and uh, there's different, they're, they're working with the Presbytery, they're working with different, uh, different elders from different churches to try and, to try and do this relaunch. Um, but they also had some specific prayer requests. Um, they're looking for interns, they're looking for just trying to find some people in the community, trying to find a place of worship in Strongsville. Um, they originally started in Cleveland, but they realized that wasn't it wasn't doing as well in Cleveland. So they moved it to Strongsville for the location of the church plant. But um, this is one of the church one of the church plants in our presbytery. This is one of the church plants we're wanting to support, and we can pray for them. And I'm I'm grateful that they are working there. That Jason Pateo is working with the presbytery to try and make this a successful long term church 
And so I was wanting to pray for just spend a few minutes to tell you and then to pray for them. Um, Jason, I was wondering if you could pray. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, John, for that and for bringing, um, bringing them to our attention. And yeah, we can pray for the Pitios. I know it's been a hard couple years for them. Um, and I think there's some, um, and maybe I'm reading into this too much, but maybe some discouragement um, over the last few years, especially through COVID. They've not been able to kind of um, get back up on their feet since then. So they're hoping to do that with this relaunch this fall. Um, finding a new place, finding people who are recommitted uh, to re- get people to recommit um, or finding new people to be a part of their core group up in Strongsville. So uh, we want to pray for that and pray that the Lord would bring um, bring people to come and to support this work there that would be a strong and vibrant church there. So let me pray uh, for the Pitios and for resurrection. Father, we are grateful for the work you're doing um, in Northeast Ohio uh, by these new church plants. And we're thankful that they have a unique ability to expose um, non-believers to the gospel. And we pray that you would do that through uh, this church in Strongsville. So we pray for the Pitios. We pray uh, for Jason as he leads that congregation under the oversight of the session of Harvest. And we pray that you would bless their efforts as that they uh, put into relaunching, to being known in their community, to being able to reach out to their community. And above all, we pray that they would be faithful in proclaiming the gospel and you'd be bringing to them uh, your people, that you would gather them by calling them to faith and that you would grow them in Christ through their lives. We pray for these efforts of finding a new place, finding people to commit to be a part of their core, core group. Um, and we pray that you would, um, you would answer these prayers and allow them to reach their community. So bless them. We give you thanks for Jason Pidio's uh, love for the church, love for the lost. And we pray that you would quit, quit Pim uh, to enable him to do all that is necessary in the coming months and years for the sake of Christ Church. We thank you for John bringing this to our attention, and we thank you for the work of resurrection. Bless them, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, go in peace. We'll see you uh, in a few minutes. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.